I V M. If a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? The philosopher George Berkeley first asked this question in the early 18th century, and a modern equivalent of it might well be: If you don't possess an ID card given by the state, do you even exist? This is a poignant question for many people, which is best illustrated by the story of Lal Bihari. Lal Bihari was a farmer from Azamgarh in Uttar Pradesh. He was born in 1951, and when he was 25 years old in 1976, he was informed by a government official that he was dead. Apparently, his cousins had bribed a government officer to get him declared dead so that they could usurp his land. So now Lal Bihari told the officer. but i am here before you you know me i have met you before the officer wouldn't listen there weren't any documents to prove that he existed so lal bihari now realized that to prove that he existed he would have to get his name in the official records he threw stones at a police station so that he would be arrested and his name would be on the records no luck he kidnapped his cousin no one seemed to care so he sent the boy home with an ice cream he applied for compensation for his alleged widow He organized his own funeral, and finally he stood for elections against V. P. Singh from Allahabad in 1988 and Rajiv Gandhi in Amethi in 1989. He lost both elections. He was still dead. By this time, he had formed the Uttar Pradesh Mitak Sangh or the Dead Man's Association of Uttar Pradesh. They had 20,000 members, people who had been declared dead and did not have an ID with which they could prove their existence. Lal Bihari himself on a court case and was declared alive in 1994 two decades after being declared dead but this land is still full of the walking dead and my point in telling you this story is not that id cards are a good thing it's the opposite my point is that no government should ever have such power over its citizens welcome to the seen and the unseen Our weekly podcast on economics, politics, and behavioral science. Please welcome your host, Amit Varma. Welcome to the Seen and the Unseen. My topic for today is Aadhaar, and my guest is my old friend Nikhil Pawa of Media Nama. When I started blogging a decade and a half ago, Nikhil was one of the early friends I made. In those days, he was a young, roly-poly, cherubic enthu cutlet with a permanent smile on his face. and he's still a young roly poly <laughs> cherubic enthu cutlet all these years later except that now he is also one of the most formidable warriors of freedom in the online space nikhil runs media nama a highly respected media company and has been a prominent digital activist most well known for his save the internet campaign and for spearheading the fight against aadhaar nikhil welcome to the scene in the unseen <laughs> thanks amit and thanks for the great intro uh, it, it's It's great to be talking to a friend about these issues because you know that's when you're most comfortable and we can have a great conversation I hope. I want to make this episode a sort of a beginner's guide to Aadhaar to hmm. people who hear that term bandied about but aren't really sure what it is apart from just an ID card which uh, you know as you'll go on to enlighten us is is not an ID card at all. Yeah. But uh, can we start by talking about all the various objections that you have to Aadhaar? So there's a long list of them but uh, the first part is that the idea that this is a national ID is a misnomer because it's not national it's a resident ID if you are in India for 182 days or above uh, you can go and get an aadhar which is why uh, an uzbek uh, citizen in i think visakhapatnam was uh, had committed a crime and she was caught 
with an Aadhaar card, not in her name, uh, in a fake name, in, in a sense, right? Uh, there was a Pakistani national in Pathan Court who was caught with an Aadhaar card as well. So, uh, any foreigner who stayed in India over 182 days will need an Aadhaar card effectively if they want a bank account, if they want uh, a working mobile connection. Uh, so it's not uh, a national idea because anyone can get it. In fact, that means it's a very weak form of ID. ID because even like a passport or a driving license is a far better form of ID, having gone through verifications. And you know, if someone has an Indian passport, you know they're an Indian citizen. Right. So the other part of it is that it's also not an ID <laughs> okay. uh, because there is no verification. Hmm. So what happens is that when you get an Aadhaar, and I haven't gotten one, and you haven't gotten either, either, right? So uh, essentially, what happens is that. You go, you take an existing ID, uh, and they take your fingerprints, they take your iris scan, and they give you an Aadhaar card after a particular period of time. Um, there is a journalist called Devayan Roy who works with CNN and IBN, and he went through this process, realized that there was no verification that's taking place, so he got an Aadhaar card made um, in a different name. He went to the verification center. Uh, and he got. They made a fake uh, driver's license for him, I think, and uh, so both got submitted at the same time. His actual submission, as well as his fake one. Wow! So he reported it, and the UIDA filed a case against him. Uh, what happened eventually was that they granted him an Aadhaar uh, in the false name. <laughs> so Debayan. No, it's sad because you know Debayan is is in in court trying to get his Aadhaar in his own name. And you know, I asked the UIDA CEO that question at uh, GCCS, which was a global uh, conference taking place in Delhi, and he laughed and he said that you know I am saying that he will be stuck with his name for the rest of his life, uh, and this is the beauty of Aadhaar that if you get it in the wrong name, you you stuck with that name for the rest of your life. His he said his words were that you know his his child will go to school and say that my papa's name has changed. I mean. That's disgusting, uh, but it is what it is, and it shows the mentality of the UIDAI when it comes to these issues. But the point is that anyone can take any ID and get an Aadhaar made in that name. Now there are criminals who may have potentially changed their name now and now have a clean record, and there's no way of knowing that. So you know, um, really, when you when you look at Aadhaar from this perspective about being an ID. Uh, it's not really an ID. It's more of a proof of authentication. It's a proof that your fingerprint is connected to this Aadhaar number or not, because there is no verification. A passport is a better uh, means of which you have cops who come to your home. They talk to your neighbors. There's some amount of physical check that's uh, that that takes place before you get a passport. The scale at which Aadhaar has been implemented, it was impossible to do that. The pace at which it was being implemented, uh, there are a large number of fakes that would have been created. So that's another problem with Aadhaar. That you know, uh, there were about forty-nine thousand enrollment agencies whose license was cancelled for uh, violation of processes when it came to the creation of Aadhaar, including one that was storing biometrics. And effectively using replay biometrics to generate new Aadhaar numbers because they were being paid per ID generated, and so it was the incentive structure was created in a manner that they would uh, create more enrollments, and there was no way of checking this. Uh, 
you know so i think the the whole system is flawed in the way it has been developed and there's you know there's a silicon valley philosophy that goes move fast and break things uh, there is an agile development sort of a approach which says that start and then keep iterating and keep improving but when you're looking at something of a national scale that impacts the lives of people um, i think the philosophy we ought to have is move slow and fix things you know you have to be deliberate you have to be conscious you have to monitor and you have to fix these problems before it impacts a large number of people in this case the rush to just get more and more people on board and this is something which nanan elekani has talked about which is that if you move so really really quickly uh, in these things the opposition does not have time to consolidate so by the time they realize what was going on these guys had moved much further than did ahead. he say this approvingly or uh, i think yeah he said this as 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 a strategy that they deployed uh, because there was opposition to aadhar from the very beginning as well so i'm saying that this is the negative outcome of it, the problems that we are facing now is an outcome of the rush so that was another point that i wanted to make about how not to create a national id is haste is bad uh you are going to mess up people's life if you do that and the thing to remember is that there is so much at stake like it makes me really angry when you just told me you know what the uaid chairman said about uh, you know deba and roy being stuck with a fake name forever and almost yeah. a sense of schadenfreude that he kind of expressed is that they control the lives of the people this whole approach that the people belong to the state and we can do what we want with you like you know i started my show with an intro about lal bihari mrtak who you must have heard of yeah and uh, and that attitude just infuriates me no and therefore this is also about so uh, is us as citizens and as people being deprived of agency right uh, we are not given a choice about whether we want an aadhar or not right um and so you know i think that's this is uh, one of the challenges that we face and this is why there's a great deal of anger amongst people right now because you're constantly bombarded with messages about having being forced to link it right uh the question that i would like to ask is how many people who've gotten an aadhar uh, actually wanted to get one right. and how many have been forced to get one and by making it mandatory for so many things uh you've effectively forced like i know students who didn't want one but had to get one because they wouldn't be allowed to sit in exams if they didn't have one and how do they feel about this is something that we have to take into account um effect and this is an argument that's also being made in court that it's we have the right to informational self determination which is that we have the right to choose what we want to do with our information who we give it to and uh, by being forced to get an aadhar and being forced to give this information uh, to the government uh, we are being robbed of our agency what's happening with aadhar in this case is that it is uh, it's taking your and my personal information uh converting it into a public asset and then privatizing it without us having a choice so for example the national health information network is probably going to get rolled out next year with aadhar linked electronic health records um last year viral acharya the deputy governor of the rbi spoke about the creation of a public credit registry which then startups can build businesses on top of saying that the baseline of personal uh credit information the financial transactions that we do will be provided by the government 
and then they can add their own data sets on top of it to provide you more granular services. Now, some part of this is good, but the question is, where is the agency here? In the sense, do we have choice? Are we giving consent? Um, so we're being forced to part with our data, and the idea is to build businesses on top of that data. And, and what on. I what I keep telling people is, you know. Uh, whatever you say about Aadhaar, my fundamental objection to it, as you correctly nailed right now, is a question of consent. It's a coercion that we are forced to take Aadhaar. You know, you might say it's insecure or it's not insecure or whatever, but if you have the agency to be able to decide, that's fine. And the whole Aadhaar imbroglio, in a sense, illustrates the perversity of what the state has become. The state is ideally there to protect our rights and to protect our property. But now what is happening is, I am told that if by 31st March I don't link my Aadhaar to my bank account, they could freeze my bank account. The government is there to protect my money, not to, you know, I mean, is, is basically theft, if not destruction. No, and what this does essentially is that it's changing the relationship between the citizen and the state because of all the information that they're now able to collect on you. Right. So if you go back to the idea of Aadhaar, I think you need to look at it from a mass surveillance perspective. So... About, uh, I think, five, six years ago, we heard about this project being rolled out called NatGrid, which was a national intelligence grid, effectively. And the idea was that it would connect 21 databases together. So your bank, your mobile, etc., all of these things. Now, uh, you know, if you think about it, uh, an Amit Sharma in one database is not going to be an Amit Sharma in another database, right? The deduplication is very difficult because the names are going to be uh, are the same across. Uh, John Smith, you know, from that perspective. What the Aadhaar number does is it deduplicates these these databases. Phase two of NatGrid, from what I've at least from what I've read, is going to have nine hundred and fifty five public and private databases. So every aspect of your life, every interaction is going to effectively become an Aadhaar linked database, which will then be available to the state when they want to glean information about you. Now, zoom out and look at the impact that can have on a democracy and that impact that can have on an individual's agency if the state has that much informational power over them. And so these are very dangerous times for us as citizens and for our rights, uh, also for the opposition parties because, you know, uh, this government may not be that bad, but who knows, five governments down the line, you will have a totalitarian entity that uses this information to effectively change the course of history forever. I mean, every individual should just think of the government in power as being the absolute worst that he can think of, whatever that might be. Yeah. And you give them this much power. And and you said earlier that this reverses the relationship between the citizen and the state. Yeah. I would actually say it illustrates it. And after in the sense that it's pretty much been this way that the state has treated its citizens as its subjects. Yeah. And the difference of Aadhaar and the control that they have over our lives because our data now belongs to them is that the state is empowered. Like typically you'd imagine that in these modern times, technology empowers individuals. Yeah. But here you actually have Aadhaar empowering the state against its individuals instead of, you know, protecting the individuals. So one of the arguments that's being made is that Google has your data, Facebook has your data. That's So one part is, yes, that is voluntary, but also they have a lot of data about you. So, you know, we're in an era where all of these entities have a large amount of information about us, but we really have little control over information that is us in the sense in today's day and age, we are data. You know, every single activity that we do generates data. You have 
people are talking about the quantified self with uh, i mean i have a friend who stuck some uh, device in his arm and he uses it to monitor his blood sugar levels that's going to an app so we're generating truckloads of information about ourselves and we'll continue to do that the power equation with the platforms is also something to consider so the state's solution for dealing with that changing power equation and these platforms like you know whether it's google or it's facebook or it's amazon or it's microsoft uh, tencent baidu uh, the state's solution there is to hey give us your data as well so we'll also use that so we're effectively in a situation where there is a global market failure in in data protection and privacy and the solution to that problem shouldn't be more data it should be giving us more control over our data in fact the fundamental role of the government should be to protect its the rights of its citizens and therefore the government should be putting that data those data protection laws in place rather than trying to exploit its absence so this is one of the problems with aadhaar that uh, aadhaar was brought in through an ordinance initially uh, without a privacy law in place there still isn't a privacy law the current committee that's looking at the privacy law is essentially it has people who've argued against the fundamental right to privacy in the supreme court right it has the ceo of the uida and the uida is really not one that's going to uphold privacy the way it's operating right now so we have a problem here that we don't have a data protection law uh, aadhaar when it was even when it was taken through parliament it was taken as a money bill uh, with the rajya sabha having no role except making recommendations which the lok sabha rejected because the current government has a majority in the lok sabha and and those protection requirements were actually fairly good in the sense you had uh, one was for the definition of national security because in india uh, the, there is no definition so the state has complete freedom in terms of who it, uh, under what causes it goes and snoops on someone um you know there was purpose limitation which was another uh, solution where you can only limit it to a few select services and not build a whole private ecosystem or enable a whole private ecosystem on the basis of our data so checks and balances were essentially rejected in parliament and therefore even from like it's almost been a journey of the state constantly trying to hoodwink its citizens over the last few years and this is not just the bjp by the way it happened with the congress as it's well a, it's a dna of the state it's a state and so uh, i'm very worried about where we are going uh, with this and how the future is going to be if this is allowed um, because you know i don't i don't i'm not sure whether the supreme court judges really realize the ramifications of what they're dealing with over here we got a great judgment in terms of the fundamental right to privacy but the way it looks at uh, there were exceptions that were brought in especially for welfare uh, and that's what the lawyers some lawyers that are spoken with seem to think that that is a means of justifying aadhar uh, so we don't know where this case is going to go but i think it's pretty worrying let's move on with your laundry list of objections to aadhar which i know is a long one it's a long one so uh, the other is that uh, actually this is so is about the permanence of the aadhaar number which is a single permanent number that is you effectively um and the permanence of biometrics uh, as a password now that's just stupid because if imagine having an email address with a permanent password that you can't change mind boggling <laughs> so this is and and what's happened over the past few years is that 
government departments have been leaking aadhaar numbers and a lot of personal information uh, by the millions i mean a cis report pointed out that only about four schemes had a had details of over 135 million uh people and all of this is available on google search so, so you uh, sketch out a scenario for me no. what happens if some what can what can go wrong so, if so, someone's aadhaar number no, no, but first let me tell you what information sure. it had right because i've seen some of these excel sheets because mm. government departments uploaded excel sheets with personal information on their websites wow. uh and you had to do a google search uh for a file type xlsx uh in quotes aadhaar number and you would get some of these sheets Uh, which you can download and get people's personal details so they had aadhaar number uh, bank account uh, address um, date of birth father slash spouse's name um, you know gender in some cases caste and religion in some cases in excel sheets so spell out for me what can go wrong when this kind of data gets released or falls into the wrong hands so uh, one is of course targeting you know uh, if as aadhaar gets linked to more and more things individuals can be targeted in a manner which is predatory and we've seen some of this happen because the information that's been leaked where you had a situation where people were getting phone calls saying i'm calling from so and so bank is this your aadhaar number is this uh, is this your bank account number i'm sending you a verification code because you have to link your aadhaar to your bank and then people would give that detail and they would find that money's been transferred out right um in fact this happened to a member of parliament in punjab uh, as well i received a call in fact and i have the audio of that because i recorded it where um and it wasn't aadhar related but because i don't have an aadhar but it was related to phone pay which is uh, a upi payments app which i use and uh, <laughs> so the person didn't realize that i know about the payments ecosystem right so is he said that i'm sending you a verification code when i looked at my phone it was a password reset code wow and so for most people who can't understand english and because uh, this they are going to give this information away because they think that the person who's calling them is legitimately calling from this place and how did is, you realize it was a password reset code it would have just been a number right no it said your password reset <laughs> code so the credit to phone pay over here it said your password reset code is so and so so i think uh, but again it was in entirely in english right so you know and so we are going to face problems because there are issues of information asymmetry and bounded rationality and people may not understand the implications of what they're doing and they might find that money's been funneled out and they've been wiped out exactly but they still have their aadhar number <coughs> they still have their aadhar number um so again so going back to the issues um one major problem is a centralization of all this data in a single database and so what we found a month or so ago there was a story uh, broken uh, by rasna khera of the tribune where she was added to a whatsapp group of people who were allowing who were selling access to the aadhaar database so what the government had done was they had made some village level entrepreneurs at some common service centers um customer support people for you know people who walk up to them saying we have these issues etc and that allowed access to the aadhaar database um they were selling access to the database at 500 rupees a pop and they were doing that because there were no checks and balances in place in terms of permissions so you know if you've used wordpress you have administrator editor right 
so they have something to hide it seems uh, but again going back to the earlier point about this relationship between the state and and the citizen we're in a situation where transparency is ex- expected of citizens but not of the state yeah and 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 there are millions of common citizens who are victims of this and you know you you spoke about um, uh, debai and roy and uh, and obviously he's privileged enough that you are speaking about him and asking questions about him yeah. but most common people have no recourse at all they may not even know english they may not know how to negotiate the system in any way whatsoever and i don't think uh, i mean and we, there's a separate debate to be had on the state of media and the 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 economic health of media in this country right now but really most publications don't have people who can go out into the villages and see the kind of problems that they're facing scroll has done some great work on exactly, this yeah. uh, and one of the uh, one of the main issues that's coming up is exclusion so you know uh, i'm a ghost right now and i'm assuming so are you because neither of us have aadhar exist yeah um, yamritaks exactly and the problem right now is that for a lot of people uh, especially in rajasthan and jharkhand where it's been made mandatory uh, to to the greatest extent for getting welfare um old people daily wage laborers whose fingerprints either change or don't work or there isn't sufficient connectivity um they're not getting their welfare so um and there are there are people in instances of people who have died because they haven't gotten it think of an 80 year old woman who had to who now has to go 20 kilometers to authenticate uh with her fingerprints that may or may not work and then therefore has to go repeatedly uh whereas earlier she could have given given her ration card to a neighbor to go and get that now and there was pilferage that was taking place earlier but there are also instances emerging in news reports of people you know for whom the fingerprint authentication has failed based on what the uh, what the person who's giving rations is saying and what they found is that that authentication actually worked and the rations were essentially pilfered out so it's not really uh, affecting pilferage or st- or stealing of rations as much because you may have authentication that's taking place but you're not able to address quantity theft so as an effective mechanism it's not really working and even the numbers that they're talking about have been overstated and we've done detailed analysis uh, anand venkatanayanan is a person who's done detailed analysis on how the numbers are overstated by mul- thousands of multiples i mean where it might be about 150 crore in savings uh, is being posited as 49000 crore of savings or something like that wow. so again uh, because there is lack of transparency from the government and because there's also attribution to aadhaar where it shouldn't exist uh, for example in case of west bengal um, ghosts and fakes were effectively removed through door to door surveys but the savings from what we understand are being attributed to aadhaar so it's essentially right now the system is geared up towards doing anything possible to save uh, and again within the welfare delivery system it's had the effect of empowering the rent seekers which is the opposite effect that you'd want but you know just just more than that you, you know people have died because they haven't got admission to hospitals because the people demanded another card we've heard horror stories like that and there is a moral cost to that and it infuriates me that people sitting in air conditioned cabins in um, uh, delhi treat this as collateral damage you know much as it did do during demonetization talking about vague long term benefits while there is actual suffering happening on the ground but i think that's kind of the state of political discourse today uh, that uh, growth uh, at any 
cost and people are being seen as collateral damage and you're trying to digitize the economy by forcing people into it see i'm uh, i'm someone who loves tech i've i've covered this space for 12 years love the internet um and i've always been idealistic about the role that technology can play in the sense even media namas built on this idea that uh, our, our role is to help enable and uh, an open fair and competitive digital ecosystem in the country so i love the space but really what turned uh, my thinking around aadhaar was this this was around demonetization and digital payments and when people were primarily talking about forcing change upon the country uh almost like uh it being so you know i likened it to white man's burden as digital man's burden that it is the role of the digitally enabled to force everyone to become digitally enabled and that's not the that's not how i became digitally enabled it was by choice it was his agency and so there's a philosophical shift that has taken place where those who've benefited from it feel that it's their job to force others to conform to it and because it brings in efficiency and savings and power for them but i think this is largely about power and, it, and it's, it's very interesting you'll hear supporters of prime minister modi talking about uh, how they hate communism and so on but all of this is right out of chairman mao's playbook you know the mass coercion during the time of demonetization the kind of social engineering that is being uh, attempted in various ways of which aadhar is a yeah. phenomenally powerful tool well if you if you look at the removal of agency uh, the one aspect that really stands out is in the aadhar act where uh, if your data gets stolen you can't go to court my god so the law disables you from going to court only the uidi can go to court now why would the uidi go to court against another government department so far they've only gone to court against journalists and researchers who've pointed out issues with aadhar uh, which is again a wrong thing to do because if shoot you, the messenger shoot the messenger um and inst- and but they've not gone to court against at least 216 websites that were publishing aadhar information even though the aadhar act doesn't allow it and the thing is you should have if your rights are infringed you should be able to go to court on your own it's behalf it's not just it's not just that what what that system if you're able to go to court it helps correct the system right so effectively aadhar is not going to get fixed unless someone goes to court if your data gets stolen and you go to court it forces people to make the systems more secure because they might get fined or someone might get jailed but now those incentives don't exist exactly so been so so that's Uh, and i think from what i remember when when ravi shankar prasad uh, the the it minister was asked about this in parliament i think he said that you know if we do that then there would be too many cases which is almost an admission of a problem uh, and, yeah and which 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 also indicates his government's unceasing focus on optics they don't care what really happens they just care how it's reported um well i i don't know about that aspect of it but from one of the things that i've noticed is that there's also a great deal of lying that's going on uh, like this constant refrain that there has been no breach and that's optics effectively right but yeah. the fact is that a breach is unauthorized access so if rasna khera uh, of the tribune was able to get unauthorized access to the aadhaar database by paying 500 bucks to someone that is a breach uh, you know if if let's say abhinav sivastav uh, a developer in 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 bangalore was able to access the aadhaar database because 
uh, NIC, a government body, was running access to it on HTTP instead of HTTPS. <laughs> and it's a non-secure connection which can effectively data can be taken from that. That is a breach. If biometrics have been cloned or being sold, that is a breach. Uh, so, you know, I, I think by denying that there's a problem, we're not going to solve it because, you know, if you think about it from a governance standpoint, the first part of the solution is to accept that there's a problem. Then it is to involve the right-minded stakeholders in trying to figure out the source of the problem, trying to find out a solution, um, and it, and then solving it. And also informing about solving it and bringing in processes of transparency so that there is accountability in the future. None of this is happening right now. And so we're just digging ourselves a deeper hole by denying that the problem exists. So, you know, another part of the problem with the way Aadhaar is being run is that there is no monitoring mechanism. There is only uh, th there's only uh, an audit mechanism, which means that someone has to do an audit to find a problem. Now, nobody seems to be doing that audit because journalists and researchers are finding problems and the UIDI goes and sues them for it. If that problem hadn't been reported by a news agency the UIDA probably would never have known about it and the leaks would have kept happening. And you're actually disincentivizing people from finding the problems in the system you're supposed to run. Absolutely. But more, I mean, it's, it's, but it's just as important to remember if there is a problem and nobody reports it, going back to your tree falls in a forest uh, <laughs> yeah. example, who knows? There is probably data leaking everywhere that we don't even know about. So that's why you have researchers. There's some anonymous Twitter handle called F Society right now that is um, that's effectively constantly, uh, almost on a daily basis, pointing out issues with Aadhaar because an anonymous handle probably has a better chance of doing that because if an Indian handle did it, they'd probably get sued or they'd get put in jail. Yeah. So and I have a sneaky feeling that anonymous handle is also a ghost like us. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, you know, so uh, going back to the agency issue, uh, the UIDAI under the Aadhaar Act can also cancel your Aadhaar number for any reason they may deem necessary. And do you have recourse? Can you go to court? Uh, I'm not sure about the recourse part. Hmm. I don't because if you think about it, only the UIDI can go to court. Yeah, and also only even if everyone could go to court, only the incredibly privileged people like us would actually be able to do so at a practical level. Yeah, most people in this country they don't really have that option. I mean, but you know they also don't have it easy even getting an Aadhaar number. So you know you've seen you you've seen instances of enrollment agencies because of the atmosphere of desperation that's been created by the government uh, having to pay bribes to get an Aadhaar number uh, it's supposed to be very cheap but the people who've had to pay 300 500,000 bucks to get an Aadhaar number and this is essentially rent seeking that's happening exactly. at an enrollment level right now there will probably be rent seeking that will happen if you need to get some data changed um, so we don't know where this is going but really that's where the corruption has come in if you look at it Aadhaar has effectively enabled corruption at that level even though the state may not see it as that I mean as the old saying goes power corrupt so the more power you give the more corruption you will have that, that's a truism um, what else is in your laundry list? so uh, one of the things is that the, that the people who have already been compromised forever and so that's one of the problems I have with Aadhaar that the leaks have happened at such a large scale 
that we really don't know what to do about it. So if someone's actual information about their uh, bank account number, Aadhaar number, uh, religion, address, uh, date of birth, uh, father's name slash husband's name, if all of that identifiable information that can be used to compromise them is, has been put in the public domain or has been leaked, how do you protect them? What do you do for them? They're gone for the compromise for the rest of their lives. That ship has sailed. They're just unlucky. They can't do anything. I'd love suggestions on how we can fix that now. Mm. I don't know. So the way I look at it is that this is an increasing problem. And we need to uh, we need to suspend Aadhaar right now to mitigate the problem. I don't know if we can solve it. But at least for the time being, we need to recheck our processes. We need to figure out where all the leaks are happening. And you can't do that with an ongoing system because, you know, it's like you plug one hole and then you suddenly realize there's exactly. another one, there's another one, there's another exactly. one. This is this is not something that first can be you plug done all live. the holes, then you think about repairing the wall at a fundamental level, right? And that's what so we first need to suspend the project and figure out where all the problems lie. Um, you know, so I also mentioned about not being able to count the fakes uh, in the Aadhaar system because there is no way of knowing if you've created a, f- a fake Aadhaar number or, or an ID. Uh, you will never know. In fact. You can essentially take a photo of an Aadhaar card, uh, put in any random number, put in your photograph, put in any random name. And it's an Aadhaar card. And most people will accept it as a proof of identification because of the environment that we've created where uh, it's it's acceptable. So, you know, in most countries they have chips uh, and that chip moves is, is a means of authentication. You can't really put in uh, a fingerprint scanner everywhere. And I don't think people should be going and scanning their fingerprints everywhere because it's so easy to clone fingerprints. Like, you know, someone can just place a machine before you. You you put your fingerprint, you put your thumb on it. And they say, oh, this one didn't work. And they put another one and that works. Yeah, and it's like... They the, could have just cloned I mean, it for the, the same the thing one. with credit cards, the way you clone it, yeah. yeah. So the other problem is that... Uh, 15 states have already taken copies of the Aadhaar database under something called the SRDH or the State Resident Data Hubs. Now, in Andhra, what we've seen is that all sorts of information is being linked to it. So, you know, the UIDA and Ravi Shankar Prasad have gone out and said that we're only collecting demographic data which you would give to your bank or your mobile operator and stuff like that. But at the state level, they're linking stuff like traffic violations to it. They're linking property records, petty crimes information. And this is happening uh, in case of Andhra Pradesh. Now, what you develop effectively over a period of time when you start collecting and linking all of this information is you get a 360-degree profile of each single individual. And that kind of data uh, in the hands of a state is very dangerous, you know, because historically... Even income tax records have been out of bounds for other government departments. Right. Right. So the silos that existed, which protected us, are now being broken through the creation of the centralized database. Uh, And so the scale of the problems that this is going to cause is something we don't even realize right now. It's difficult to comprehend because there are also no checks and balances in place. So many of these states don't have a state-level Aadhaar Act to regulate the collection and sharing of this information. Now, one argument that UIDA is making is that the Aadhaar Act also applies to the states. 
where the states already have collected way more information than the Aadhaar Act allows the cent, uh, you know, the central government to take. So, and, the ambiguity is actually there right now uh, to be misused. And just thinking aloud, the political repercussions of this on our democracy can be staggering. I mean, just to take two examples, in 1984, we now know that a lot of the rioters had electoral roles by which they identified which house uh, the people they wanted to victimize lived in and they yes. just went door to door to those houses. And, you know, and that is uh, just a very limited set of data and the damage it caused. And equally, you saw recently how um, Tista Settlewad's uh, credit card uh, details were uh, leaked out at a government press conference where they said that, listen, this woman spent her, used her credit card to buy alcohol, as if buying alcohol is a crime. Yeah. And and the fact is that data should not have been out there. Exactly. And what right does a government have to release that data in the first place? Exactly. I mean, they should have the data and if they have it, you know. So so, so that affects uh, the opposition in, in a... In a democracy. And it has a chilling effect on the opposition as well. If you know your bank account can be freezed, if your entire life can be shut down. Well, look at it from another perspective, right? The the, the beauty of digital is that the data is digital. Right. And so, therefore, the data can be manipulated. Exactly. So, if, uh, let's say, there's a murder that's taken place three, four kilometers from here, how do I know that Amit wasn't there if his location data puts him there? Yeah. If if he's done a credit card transaction in the same building uh, at some shop on the ground floor, right? So these are these you are things. You're giving ideas that'll get me into trouble, <laughs> buddy. You got more enemies than I do right now. <laughs> well, uh, so just going back to that that uh, that last example on uh, the other thing that you have to keep in mind in terms of the databases that get created is that there is no control that the UIDAI has on private databases. So through this EKYC mechanism, which is why I started off by saying that this is the conversion of personal data into a public asset and then privatized, is that private agencies are now uh, and private entities are now creating their own databases built on this information. And so what we saw, for example, in case of Reliance Geo and the data that had leaked uh, last year was that someone launched a site called magicapk.com because there was a vulnerability at some vendors uh, uh, database. I mean, this is what I read in the news reports uh, at some vendors code site that Geo had given them access to. Um, they started a site where you had to put in a mobile number and they would give you demographic details. My God. Now, the Aadhaar number area in that was kept blank. So, I'm not sure whether they had access to it or not. But who's to say that there won't be other players that might actually store that and add more information? And how does a UIDEI keep this data secure after it has left the UIDEI? See, when you do a credit card transaction, you know that you know Amazon sometimes stores your card. You can allow, sorry, you can allow Amazon to store your card details. But Amazon goes through this compliance mechanism called PCI DSS. Uh, which is a data security standard that it has to follow in order to be allowed to store the data. In case of Aadhaar, I don't know if there is a mechanism to actually check whether people are maintaining certain data security standards or not. And given the way NIC has given access to the database on HTTP, and NIC is both an AUA, which is an Aadhaar user agency, and uh, and a KUA, which is a KYC user agency, which, again, can share demographic information. I don't think it's following the protocols, but it's a government body, so I don't know what the government's going to do about... Is it going to cancel the license of another government body? Highly unlikely. 
So this is damn confusing because I see like two contradictory dystopian situations. One situation is that we have a government which is so inept that it is messing everything up and is making a mess of the whole thing. But the other dystopian situation is that if you really look at it, this is if you wanted to be a totalitarian state with everyone's data under your control and everyone's uh, you know life one fingertip away from destruction. This is a masterful way of doing it. Which do you think is more true? um i'm not going to second guess in terms of intent of the government fair enough uh, so i don't so that is somewhat the effect that it's ending up having anyway they have it, all the data they have complete control and they have it in extra quick time look and it is not to say that the intent was bad when it began from that perspective right because we can't we don't know what the intent sure. was like i'm someone who supported aadhaar when it started because i saw the massive benefits it would bring in if the KYC costs would be taken on by the government because at that point time I remember uh, Nokia had done some presentation which talked about the cost of authenticating each individual uh, was about 270 rupees uh, and therefore that is a massive cost if you want to bring everyone into the financial system now the government through aadhar was taking on that cost so that uh, you would have financial inclusion that comes in that's a great idea but the beast that it has become on top of that and the the repercussions of collection of personal information is something which many of us had not considered which is why under the bjp and uh, under yashwant sinha there was this great parliamentary standing committee report that came out which pointed towards all of these issues which brings me to my last point which again we learned from that particular report which was about biometrics being an inexact science so there are always going to be people who will be excluded because biometrics are a probabilistic uh, means of authentication so there will always be false negatives and false positives which is that there will be people who whose fingerprint is correct but that they're going to get rejected and there are people whose fingerprints do not match but they will be accepted uh, and so you know i'd like to see the government actually make aadhaar mandatory for boarding flight because there will always be someone who will be rejected and the elitism problem that we have in terms of technologists talking about how probabilistic science is fine when those guys get denied flights because they because their fingerprint doesn't match i think they'll start thinking about things a little differently i don't think for them it really matters that the people who are not able to get their daily rations or their monthly rations um and the people who are starving because of problems with aadhaar because it's not Im- impacting them personally but let's make it mandatory for flights and see and also happens. in this context you can't talk probabilities i mean the duty of the state is to protect every single citizen yeah uh, you can't exclude anybody to say that a 0.0 whatever percentage is not on it has to be zero. no no so there is always going to be exclusion because so biometrics because are fundamentally biometrics flawed are fundamentally flawed because biometrics change because your fingerprints get worn out because as you age they change uh, so you know where effectively this 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 idea of of having a probabilistic authentication and also a permanent mode of authentication with biometrics which can be compromised is just bizarre because if by the way if there is a 100% match there's probably a fake yeah. biometric being used so the whole edifice falls apart on this basically so tell me this you've you've outlined a number of problems and i think any one of them on their own is a disqualifier by itself and 
together they are quite overwhelming but hmm. what are the sort of solutions that you think are possible going forward so um one is an easy one which is make it voluntary if you don't want want one you shouldn't have to get it make it uh, make it mandatory but that ship is sailed right 900 million people already have it and a lot of the data has already leaked so there's another solution there <laughs> yeah. right uh, but the the other one was make it optional so aadhaar should be one of the authentication mechanisms used one of many right. so that people can then protect themselves then is the idea of deprecating ids which is that let's say if your passport changes then the passport number changes so have aadhaar deprecate over a period of time so that you have to go and get a new one that's a new number so your 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 exposure is limited from that perspective or other you can get a new one if you want to if you want to of course yeah. uh, one of many ids in use uh, for any kind of uh, any kind of authentication uh, the other is to give users control to change and revoke their ids so if i want to change my aadhaar number i should be able to change it if i want to just cancel it and never use it again i should have the freedom to do so because that also gives people agency um one technical solution which is also being used i think in denmark is the idea of using derived authentication or, or pseudonymization so the uida initially had this idea of having a virtual id which is going to be built on top of uh, aadhaar so that you give your instead of giving your aadhaar number at places you give another id now the problem with the way they're implementing it is that they're only allowing one virtual id at a time um and the likelihood is that people will not know how to revoke it or change it and so their implementation is not that great but let's say in case of upi which is the payments mechanism with every app you can create a new id so your expo- your bank account doesn't get exposed right. and one single id doesn't get uh, can uh, doesn't get exposed um you also need to give citizens a right to legal recourse if i can go to court then it forces the system to fix itself because there might be monetary damages uh, on the government or the court ruling might force it to change um you need a purpose limitation for aadhar which is that it should not be linked to or usable for sensitive personal information and you should have a limited use case for which it is allowed um so as not to create a situation where people overexpose themselves or give their aadhaar number or or cre- help create databases at a lot of places um you know no usage of biometrics whatsoever uh, that needs to go and in fact the biometric data that's been collected needs to be destroyed um of course one thing which which for us that ship has sailed but what other countries that are looking at similar mechanisms can do is that they need to have a data protection law and a privacy law before rolling something like this out we've obviously done things the wrong way here um we need money to be spent on an awareness campaign and a disproportionate amount of the budget needs to be on that awareness campaign so that people understand what to do what not to do uh, they have a ready reckoner for how not to compromise themselves uh, because there is clearly there's information asymmetry uh most people don't realize the impact that this has so these are some of the ideas that i have uh, the push for 100% uh, is actually what is hurting us a lot right now because in that push we're more focused on getting to 100% uh, rather than building a system that works so tell me something in in your interactions with policy makers with politicians with bureaucrats how receptive have they all been to these ideas of yours where is the opposition coming from 
I think uh, one is the is a sunk fallacy. Is a sunk cost, cost fallacy. fallacy, right? That we spend so much of money and therefore we can't destroy it now. Which is why these are recommendations for fixing it rather than shelving it altogether. Because I think uh, shelving it would be a better idea. But in the absence of that, there needs to be a mechanism to fix it, uh, or or at least limit the damage that gets caused. Um, most opposition uh, members are. they don't like this system because they're also worried about surveillance and exclusion is a very very big uh, problem that they're seeing in their own constituencies um one of the things that again that i forgot to mention earlier about the problem with aadhaar that it's become a national security uh, risk so they are also conscious of that because all this data available accessible with such poor security in place compromises most citizens in this country like aadhaar is the biggest honey pot that exists for any hacker to get into because you effectively you can dismantle uh, a country's financial system if you get access to all of this data uh, one way or another which right? seems fairly easy to do i mean given the protections in place exactly so uh, we have a uh, but at least from the government side i don't think they're really engaging or they're talking much right now because for them they don't want to admit that there's a problem because that's the way politics currently works no one wants to admit to having made a mistake um i'm not sure where the congress stands on all of this because at one level you have kapil sibal uh, arguing very well in court i mean pushing back against some provisions in aadhaar but at the same time you have the karnataka congress which is pushing an aadhaar bill uh so you know uh, i i think there is uh, it's almost two faced the way they're behaving uh, we don't have uh, no one has a solution right now or no one wants to even try for the solution by the looks of it so nikhil i'm going to i'm going to ask you to uh, uh, sum it up by referring to a quote of yours from a tv interview i saw recently where you said that the co- the supreme court decision uh, about yeah. aadhar is quote the most important decision in our history unquote yeah. and then you went on to say quote what we do and by we you meant the citizens of india hmm. what we do will impact generations yeah unquote these are very big words this is a very very big issue yeah. the consequences are very momentous sum it up for me no i think that uh, the amount of data that we're releasing right now through this and remember this is aadhar is going to get linked to to the dna database when it gets created once the dna bill uh, gets passed right so uh, like you said our lives are data we are data yeah we are data and so therefore for from an individual liberty perspective this is this is the biggest decision uh, that's going to be taken about our future uh, about our data about our interactions because effectively this is going to be used by algorithms to on on the good side give us loans but on the bad side change the way we uh, we vote maybe in the future or whether uh, there is any totalitarian action by some government in the future so really are this these are our rights that are going to get impacted um, in ways that we can't really imagine right now this is also the creation uh, of a mass surveillance state with very limited checks and balances uh because frankly on under the guise of national security very few checks and balances exist if at all so what we need to do as citizens is really push back now i mean it has to, uh, i said this to some of the lawyers in the supreme court case a couple of years ago that this only gets fixed when it becomes an election issue i i hope that the supreme court does the right thing uh because they are effectively going to get judged for what they judge or for what they do 
but we can't depend on courts entirely on this this is a political problem and i think there has to be a political solution and it is on citizens to force a political solution for this so i think anyone who's been listening to this episode will i think agree with me that if we don't act now it might be too late from a citizens perspective but if my listeners want to know want to ask you that okay i'm really concerned but what concrete thing can i do now as a citizen what's well, your a whole bunch of things right number one there's we have a uh, site called speakforme.in which allows you to mail your mp uh, there's some pre-prepared text in that go and change it right whatever you want and just send it to your mp It's because once mp's know that their constituents are worried there is a likelihood that they will again internally push their parties to improve the way they are thinking about it call them up call them out um whatever you can inform more people about the issues because right now what's happening is that most people don't understand the problems that we're dealing with uh, share this podcast with as many people as possible golden words <laughs> so, so that people realize the the scale of the problem that we are facing right now and you know this it has been pretty exhausting because for a lot of us who've been talking about this issue over the past few years and especially for Usha Ramanathan who's been talking about this for almost 6 7 years now if not more it's a very lonely battle because most people don't either understand the scope or the problem understand the issues um and things are changing so quickly that every time some new solution comes up you're wondering or something that the UIDA does for example with face id or with virtual id that they were doing you think that that solves the problem even though it doesn't So I would say do not trust the government on this do not trust the UIDA on this because they are trying to retain a system which is flawed go out and tell them that you want them to either remove the system or fix the system because you, the only thing that you have going for you is your vote right now I don't think there is any other option to to solve this problem that's an inspiring call to action um may you never walk alone thank you so much for coming on the show Nikhil thank you for having me here If you enjoyed listening to the show do follow Nikhil on Twitter at n i x x i n at nixon uh, you can also read his writings and follow the work of his colleagues at medianama.com you can follow me on Twitter at amit verma a m i t v a r m a and for past episodes of the scene and the unseen do hop over to sceneunseen.in thank you for listening If you enjoyed listening to the scene and the unseen check out another hit show from Indusbox Media Networks Cyrus Says which is hosted by my old colleague from MTV Cyrus Brocha you can download it on any podcasting network He bends down to test the warm water for his bath He comes here to quench his thirst for a hot shower and some podcasts You can witness how he enjoys having other people talk about cool stuff in his bathroom. Indeed, it helps him with his loneliness. You can find more of his pieces on ivmpodcast.com. Your one-stop destination where you can check out the coolest Indian podcasts. Happy listening.